Hey there, and welcome to The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show, a podcast for paradigm changers. Each week, I speak with another influential leader who's changing the conversation for their audience, their industry, and this world. I am so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show. Today, we have with us Jennifer Graham. She's the founder and CEO of Inclusive, which is a conversation catalyst company. Uh, I loved this conversation because she's really found a way to move from having great ideas to having people take action on great ideas. I believe that if you have a big idea, if you have a vision for the world that you are trying to get people to engage in, to take ownership of, and to help proliferate in the world, causing real change, this conversation is going to be of great, great uh, interest and importance for you. So just a little bit more uh, about Jen. She's an activist, designer, social entrepreneur, as I said, the founder and CEO of Inclusive, which is bringing diverse voices together for conversations that matter. Inclusive is a certified woman-owned business and certified B Corp with the purpose of designing a more inclusive and sustainable world by using the art of conversation to drive lasting change. Jennifer Graham is graduate of the Techstars Social Impact Program, City of Atlanta's Women's Entrepreneurship Initiative, Center for Civic Innovation Fellowship, and the Blackbaud Social Good Program. As a social entrepreneur, Jen has been featured as a 2020 world-changing woman in Conscious Business by Conscious Media Company and recognized by the Atlanta Business Chronicle as a Small Business Person of the Year Rising Star in 2019. Uh, We had a blast in this conversation and uh, really getting into how to use the art of storytelling not to just tell your own story, but to get people engaged in the story and help change it. That's what this whole conversation is about. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Jen Graham, thank you so much for being here. Um, Here's what I love, love, love in my preparation for this conversation is seeing the multiple ways to frame the same work. And I think that so often when we are change makers, a lot of the work is how do we shape the conversation? Because we're here to bring people into, you know, something they hadn't seen before, something they didn't know existed, something they didn't, couldn't know exists. But sometimes it takes like some work, some iterations of like, how do I frame this? How do I talk about this? How do I, how do I match the value I know is in this work? with the value people are looking for in the context of their lives or their work. So let's start here. Tell us just a little bit about what is inclusive. What do you do? What's the work? Just get us inside your world. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Wow. Well, inclusive is an engagement platform that is all about bringing diverse voices together uh, for structured conversations on the most pressing issues of our time. And our goal is to really be the point of integration between an idea or or a fact or a a story or even an important topic and and the action associated or that is necessary in the world. And what we have built is a a way to move from action or from awareness to action is through understanding. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. most trainings and um, most ways people find out about things is through monologue, through one-way communication that lacks the context that we really need to fully understand and unpack an issue that has various complexity and kind of pulling the onion apart. And so by gathering around in a dialogue with different people from different backgrounds and perspectives and industries, we can really examine a topic and walk away learning so much from this peer-to-peer dialogue. Um, and we can curate specific actions and next steps afterwards that harness that energy in a really productive way. I love that. I think so often there's a lot about seeking to create understanding. Yes. 
but there's often not quite as much like what what do we do okay we we know what the problem is or we understand something at a level we didn't before but what the hell do we do with it now what right. now what um mm-hmm. and i think that's often missing um i want to get more into the structure of the conversations and how you built this conversation technology yeah. but before we go there um I want to get into this monologue versus dialogue because mm-hmm. you used to run TEDx mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Is that right? That's right. Yes. TEDx For like Atlanta. Six, six years. Mm-hmm. I was a co-organizer and my job was originally to coach speakers on how to give the talk of their life and boil their life's work down to 18 minutes. And right. so trying to kind of get to the heart of the core and it was all about storytelling and the best the best presenters, whether it's Sir Ken Robinson that I got to work with or others, uh, it's all about a string of stories. And I also appreciated the structure of, of great presentations. I learned from um, the, the the best speakers at TED even um, always follow a structure that also mimics the, the hero's journey that we also see in the movies and in any great play, that the three big acts. And so that... Um, this, my background and almost conference organizing and speaker preparation and, and curation also goes down to how do you communicate ideas clearly and authentically and move an audience to really um, feel like they are part of it and then can take them, take whether a key learning home with them or even dive into a dialogue afterwards and bring it to it. So those, I can get into the structure of a conversation follows those of essential three big questions that we ask and um, kind of walk through this shared experience together. What was missing for you hmm. in the work you were doing with TEDx? Yeah, Ooh. I would say the, to your point earlier, it was about the what's next. I would spend weeks, months planning these, uh, these conferences, curating the audience just as much as I would curate the speakers on stage. But yet the TED format and structure was set so that we were not even allowed to engage in Q&A. They, we did it and we got our hands slapped, actually. So um, we were being watched and uh, they, they really only wanted ideas worth spreading, but they didn't necessarily want to move ideas into action. And so mm. that's where I realized this one-way monologue where the audience is just the observer. They're listening, but how can we then turn around and activate the audience to actually and allow them to add their lived experience and their knowledge and expertise to actually move this issue forward. And so I realized that smaller, smaller groups would be the way that we could move forward and still learning what, I mean, bringing in and pulling in elements of structure and ideas and stories into the small group discussions would allow us to really uh, give them the time and need time that they need to build relationships because what, what's crucial, what's part of the recipe for action and really creating change in the world uh, is about feeling not like you're not alone, being able to connect with others mm-hmm. who also are passionate about the issue, talking through what's possible and ending on what next steps you can actually commit to doing. And those are all possible within an hour, an hour and a half conversation. Yeah. You know, what strikes me as well, I'm sure this is in it, is connection and safety. Yes. Right. We 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 need we need connections so we can build trust. We need trust so we have a sense of safety. We need safety in order to take action because action take risks. Yep. Yeah. Um this started as something called civic dinners. So like We'll get into the pivot and all that in just a bit. And for the listeners, I'm very uh, – we, we've got a fun surprise for you in store here. Um, you were at TEDx before Civic Dinners. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So what – how did – what is Civic – what was Civic Dinners mm-hmm. and how did you get into that? Yeah. Well, well Civic Dinners uh, was – around, it started back in the concept of 2014, 2015, had our first pilot. And it was a, it started kind of after a big conference in Atlanta, after learning, like kind of trying to tweak and break outside of the confinements of TEDx that 
the rules and strict rules that we had to follow just didn't allow us to engage participants in the way that I had wanted to. And so an opportunity came up for us for, for us to experiment a little bit more. Um, and we called them salons and we used, we hosted them over dinner time and we asked for volunteers to host a salon. Um, and like in their homes, them in their homes or in offices uh -huh. or at a restaurant. Okay. And we gave them the tools that they needed to be able to host these. And those were the most talked about things from the post summit survey. Um, how they got to be able to connect with each other, to meet, to have really enriching dialogue on a very specific theme. Okay, so this was uh, like an ancillary thing as part of a conference. Mm -hmm. So it was like okay. the evening of a conference. It was an innovation um, that we wanted to pilot and see how this could really allow the participants to meet one another, to connect, to have deeper dialogue on the top, on a specific piece or component of the overall theme of the summit. Um, and it was the pe people I found out years later that they were still meeting with the same people that they had met and they had built new relationships wow. and that actions were actually coming out of those um, as, as a result of that connection. So once that spurred into the whole dinner party series, we decided that food brings people together better than anything else. And it's a great way to, to kind of be the lure essentially and also everybody has to eat so might as well make it a convening point but then adding that layer of structured conversation on top and giving volunteers the guides to lead these conversations and make it accessible and easy to do and then on top of that giving them a platform to be able to post their conversation the meeting spot the date the time location what to bring if it's potluck or if it's a la carte or at a restaurant and then allow strangers, complete strangers, to be able to register and sign up. So that was the kind of pilot that we drove in 2015. We we even partnered with the Atlanta Regional Commission, which is in charge of the long-range planning process. So for 25 years down the road, they were anxious to get millennial voices at the table, and and so we were we were inviting millennials to dinner, and and it became such a buzzworthy hot topic that soon uh, news outlets, NPR, everybody wanted to interview participants in this process and hear their voices and yeah. to uplift those voices. And it, what is so awesome is that, oh my gosh, seven years later, we've had over a dozen members that participated in that initial pilot that have now run for office from city council Whoa. to school board to, um, yeah, to um, county commissioner. Um, and also now uh, Secretary of State. So it is so empowering to see how these voices have really blossomed in a way that never could have imagined before. That's amazing. Here's <laughs> what I love. So often people's work is about them mm. versus through them. Mm. And you... You know, your your angst in the TED model was the one-to-many format, right? right? The monologue format. I'm the leader. I've got the I have got the idea worth spreading, and you right. all can graciously listen to me deliver it to you. <laughs> Accept and receive. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and so often people's work is, oh, this is about me. And I'm the one with the impact, and I'm the one with the story, and I da 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 da. What mm -hmm. I love about this is that this work was through you, but not about you. It wasn't right. the Jen Graham story. Mm -hmm. It was I'm creating containers, I'm creating vehicles, I'm creating a vessel and a format for mm -hmm. all these voices. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm super curious. This is maybe going to feel like a a little left turn here. What was your childhood like? Like, did you feel heard? What's your relationship to having a voice and being heard? Oh, wow. That is such a good question. I'm going to steal that for one of our topics. But uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I will say I, so I grew up knowing, so my father's an entrepreneur. And my mother grew up uh, and became the, the chief 
uh, human resources officer for the state of North Carolina. So the legislative branch, the very government HR leader, and my father an entrepreneur, and I'm now a hybrid of the two in the HR tech world, <laughs> which is ironic. Um, but I'd say I, I really, I mean, I think profound experiences for me felt like I, I knew that if I asked the right questions or went to the right person, I could probably get what I needed in order to succeed. I felt like I was super pretty self-sufficient and throughout life and very privileged with that. Um, I never had a problem going up and asking for what I needed or wanted. And so I realized though, not everybody felt the same way. Not everybody knew that they could go and, and, and ask for certain things. And so I started to wonder if it's just the, if what people were needing was just permission to mm. ask and permission to share. And then the community will rally around it and move forward and permission to lead. And so I wanted to create a space where people feel like they can lift each other up and support one another. And I, I feel like, um, you know, I, as a, I don't a, a community organizer, I had my first civic win in a way where I had a bike accident. That, that is literally what propelled me into advocacy. I was on a different career path in 2014 or 20, even 2011. I was planning to be a graphic designer and just to, you know, have the cushion life of being an artist and just hanging out with other artists. But I had a bike accident that propelled me into wanting to make Atlanta more bike friendly, which was an uphill battle. And I will say I, um, after an interview, I was able to find out that there were 20 to 200 other parallel grades, which is what I hit in order my wheel got stuck and I flew forward and broke an arm and, and so forth. And so I, found out that there were 200 other parallel grates around the city that had been on a list and I got livid. And I said, you gotta fix these or I'm gonna make a big PR deal about this, basically to the, to the, and to the right people. They fixed them within 48 hours and sent photos to prove it. And so I was like, whew, <laughs> that feels good. That's a civic win. That's like, I asked for something, I got it. Ooh, what else, what else can we do to uplift and create a better city? And what I realized was that the city government is just overwhelmed. There are so many things that need to be fixed and individuals, it's really easy for us to just point the finger and complain because I complained about the lack of infrastructure in Atlanta for a long time. And, and, but I didn't do anything about it. And so I, by that, that one action of like, Hey, you need to fix this was just a nudge to the right people to fix it. And it was fixed. So I think giving, sharing my story was a way of being, of, of allowing other people to also step up and ask for what they need and want. And this civic dinners became a format of a way for people to uplift their concerns, to share what they're seeing and to put some spotlight on it. And if there wasn't a leader willing to take ownership, they were then like, Hey, what can you do to help move this issue forward? So it's really about lifting up levels of leadership and allowing everybody to participate in co-creating a better world. I, I love that you use the word permission because what you just said, oh, I had a bike accident and I was like, oh, there's 200 of these suckers. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but like you also were raised, it sounds like to go, I can shake the tree. Yeah. Right. I have permission to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think about marginalized communities where most people aren't raised to shake trees, right? right? And and get in serious trouble and maybe have a mm -hmm. history of being killed if they shake trees. Um, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. So there's a whole lot of reasons that people don't shake the tree because it's waking the monster mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so this permission, hey, you can ask. Uh, you know, with entrepreneurs, one of the things I often think about is like, what's the permission you give your audience that they don't even know they need? Yeah. 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 Right. Because a lot of times our role as leaders in people's lives is to open doors for folks yeah. or to even show them where a crack in the door opening is. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, Hey, there's an opening there. Walk there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm curious what you've seen, like from a real human standpoint, you know, we can talk about outcomes and whatnot, and that's awesome. I'm curious about like, can you think of people? Hmm. So this, this question is related to identity because oftentimes I think not knowing we can ask for something is part of our identity. I am not the type Mm -hmm. of person who can ask for X. Mm -hmm. And maybe we come from a society and culture that tells me, uh, you know, if I have this skin color or this gender, or if I'm queer, or if I'm this or that, like, I I can't ask for that. I'm curious in all these years now of doing this work, like, not the outcomes, we'll get to outcomes in a bit, but what have you seen change for people about their sense of self Mm. as they get permission to ask for what they want. Wow. Wow. I will say what changes about themselves. Well, I will say participating in a conversation where you don't know what questions are going to be asked until you hear them. And it's in a group and it's designed that way to really create that brave space for people to feel vulnerable and to respond in real time and to really think about their own lived experience. And so sometimes these questions are asked that they've never thought about before, Mm -hmm. uh, myself included. And it forces you to kind of go back in a Rolodex of your life, your life experiences and stories and memories. And sometimes you've never said something out loud before. And so even your unconscious hasn't heard it or your conscious self hasn't heard it. Um, and so it's almost therapeutic in that way where people reveal things to themselves that they didn't even realize that they knew or felt. And then to hear other stories that are also equally as in the moment and inspiring and like, aha, whoa, firing off at all on all cylinders. It is such a transformational experience for so many because of that. And and we go deep pretty quickly because we create that the common ground rules and safe space where what's said what is said here stays here, but what is learned here leaves here. So it's about Oh, hold on. <laughs> what is said here stays here, but what is learned here leaves here. That is so good. That oh, is thanks. so good. Oh, what a framework. <laughs> thanks. I love that. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. Good. Sorry. Yeah. I just had to like, <laughs> I just had to stop there for a minute. Um, well, I love it. I love it. It's a, and that's, that's the truth because we don't necessarily want to take someone else's lived experience and put their name attached to it, but we can leave with the concepts and the aha moments and the quotes and, and the just inspiring moments of truth and learning moments that we can walk away with and, and teach others. And so I think that's, yeah. that's often what happens. And so I think people, there's a couple kind of moments of transformation that happen in the, in real time during a conversation. And then I think there's the after effect. All of us process thoughts and ideas and emotions differently. Some are like, I happen to be one of those that I get an idea from the universe. Boom. I say it out loud. Boom. <laughs> and it's like, straight through me, no control sometimes, no filter. (laughs) Other people though have to process and it can take a month for them to have that kind of, whoa, okay, aha moment. And I get it. Um, And so we allow time to pass while we are collecting their thoughts and ideas and always invite them to come back and share their story or commit to some kind of action or follow through or take that next level of engagement that they may want, whether that's hosting their own. Sometimes people feel empowered now that they have, they participated, that they want to give other people the opportunity to have their voice heard on the issue. Mm -hmm. And that's a big ask Mm -hmm. that we have is like part of that community organizing model is built into this. Once you attend, now you can host. It's not so scary. Mm -hmm. It's not so hard. Everybody can do it. Here you go. Here's a toolkit to do so. Yeah. Speaking of the universe, um, how, how does that voice occur for you? What's your relationship to it? When did you start yeah. learning to listen to it? Like, what's that world like for you? Oh, wow. Okay. So I 
I've become really interested in intuitive astrology um, and also kind of listening to it. So I have an intuitive astrologist that I meet with regularly and I actually got to speak with a medium who is really um, advanced in her ability to listen and see. And she even expressed that, that there are some that are, I remember in our first session, there were 13 guides that are advising me um, through the universe, through the voice. And some are recognizable global leaders that are like, what? Um, so it's really, I feel like my, I am on a mission again that I didn't ask for, but I was called for. And now I'm trying to navigate and guide and listen as much as I can to how I can use my skills and talents for the greatest good. And yeah, shepherding that process. So I, I, as far as my practice, I'm getting better at listening. I um, try to meditate. I also have a few kind of, this is some, a gift that my stepmother gave me, but this mystic art medicine card deck, which is a great way of kind of tuning in to the superpowers that we all have, but re- rarely access or think about. Um, and so, yeah, I just started. Here's my, here's, here's my sense of you. Yeah. All great. Fabulous. Love. <laughs> and you get these sudden moments of insight that just pop in. Mm-hmm. And once you see it, you know it. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. boom. Oh, that wasn't in my conscious mind two seconds ago. Exactly. But in, in, in my senses that they come in like packets of information. Mm-hmm. I sometimes describe them as like zip files. Right? <laughs> like the zip file yes. drops in, you double click on it, 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 it zips um, open. Um, That's right. right. And then, yeah. oh, oh, here's all the insight. Oh, here, oh, 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 well, we, oh, okay, we got to do it this way. <laughs> Is that accurate? That is so true. That's so true. It's the splenic authority if you're into human design. Yep. Uh, it's the instant download and that uh, it's like, I see it, I hear it. Okay, cool. It makes total sense. And then I my instinct is to immediately apply it, which yep. has some complications if you have a team. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, You know, I think a big part of what I love is, so we'll get into this here in just a a hot second. Like you now actually have like a corporate tech company. Yeah. um, And everybody I work with, you know, has some form of how their guidance speaks to them. Yeah. And then how that gets translated into like real world business, real mm-hmm. world action, real mm-hmm. world, you know, and like, okay, hmm, I don't know that I can say it exactly this way for this audience. Mm-hmm. All right. How do I translate that so I can bridge to these people and still get yes. the energy yes. into the world uh, without compromising it? Um, so, all right. So, Civic Dinners is born. You're off and running. Uh, how many dinners like at your peak were you having per year? Oh my gosh. Wow. Per year. I know we had over 2,500 pre pandemic around the world. Um, we had hosted, yeah. So those are, and those were hosted by, some were hosted by us, but majority were hosted by volunteers, by hosts who were part of our organizing partners. Um, and they were hosted in restaurants and homes and offices and parks all over. Um, my favorite story. By the way, that... hold on. Oh yeah, go ahead. Let me just say this. I just want to point this out for everybody. This is the power of it's not about me; it's through me, mm. right? Like you couldn't host twenty five hundred dinners in a year. No. no. Right, but like the model allowed it to proliferate. I love that. All right, great. One of your favorite stories is. Yes, one of my favorite stories is actually one of our first ever pilots when we launched our platform in 2017 it was full of bugs of course it's the minimum viable product and we piloted it again with the atlanta regional commission in atlanta and in new zealand my husband is from new zealand so he is very active in the in the um, action network there and so we were able to pilot and host over 92 dinners 
in New Zealand about the future um, of, of New Zealand. And this was up leading up to the election, um, their new round, um, before Jacinda Ardern became prime minister. So this is really exciting that they use this as a way to kind of align their there are 5 million people at the time around the values and vision for New Zealand and present their recommended policies and what they wanted from the people's perspective to prime, the, the different parties um, and to get alignment. And they asked for what they wanted. And that was so cool. And so I think um, Jacinda Ardern was elected uh, or kind of advanced into the role of prime minister since then. And what's been great is that we've seen several of the you know, orientations and values that they have they had listed actually be enacted since then. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. She's been such a model. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're off and running 2,500 dinners in a year and March 2020 happens. Yeah. What? So about that. <laughs> about that. About that. We were actually also in the middle of our Techstars social impact accelerator program at that time. Uh, tell people if they don't know what Techstars is. Yes. So Techstars is an accelerator program. Uh, they have uh, programs all over the world. This one was based in Atlanta and uh, 10 startups were asked to be part of it. As part of it, you get funding, you get access to mentors and um, and a huge network and all these opportunities. So it's up there with Y Combinator. Techstars is one of the most recognizable global accelerator programs in the world. And so it was an honor to be part of it. And it was the social impact one version, which is there are only a few of those around the world that are available. And it was important to me. I wanted to make sure that if I'm building a company, I wanted to have a soul and I wanted to have mission first. And so to be surrounded by other social impact founders at the time was incredible. We also had a partnership at the time with Facebook that um, when they went when, when the light shut down and the world stopped and dinner was canceled, we had 10 days to figure out basically how we were going to flip our model and make it available online. And we did it. And we did it with such ease and grace that you know, one of our bigger clients at the time, Facebook, they had to throw out their entire marketing plan. And they looked internally at the vendors that they had and they saw us that was immediately usable because we could flip to virtual conversations and scale around the world. So they were able to, they helped scale our platform and doubled down on us and helped translate our site into 11 languages. We scaled from the US to EMEA to Latin America and even APAC. And um, it was just incredible uh, that we were able to fly, hang on, <laughs> thanks to a, a a rather large tech company client customer, um, and and also reinvent ourselves in the meantime. We had also just launched our inclusive series at the time in March 2020, which hit, what, what, was what like was crickets. the inclusive series? Yes, the inclusive series was a was a collection of conversation topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the workplace and within communities, and it it um, topics from bridging the racial divide to belonging to allyship and um, unconscious bias and even all the heritage and cultural heritage moments, even mental health. And so we launched it in March of 2020, just before COVID. And so HR as leaders, dinners as yes, but also yes, they were originally going to be used as, as actual kind of conversations held over meals, but we could uh -huh. still, enable these to happen um, over, yeah, at the time it was just, it was just online. I mean, in person, and then we flipped online. So both the, the while we were right on the money, as far as the theme that, that, that 2020 would revolve around as far as inclusion and it, our model was not the right one yet. So uh -huh. we, um, we leveraged the, I mean, we learned a lot in the going online. Um, we flipped our ability to be able to encourage people to host during lunch. And then we also realized we needed, you know, the name Civic Dinners just wasn't quite resonating within the corporate world. <laughs> so right. with dinner canceled and with Civic being so specific to cities and municipal, municipal um, planning organizations, which is where we started, it just wasn't resonating. So we 
decided that we would go back to our core, which our purpose statement had always said, uh, we are here to create a more inclusive world. And so inclusive was the heart of what we had always been about, making sure that everybody has a voice. And so when we went to go rebrand, it was almost a no-brainer that inclusive, two Vs, uh, also symbolizing kind of peace building and bridge building and doubling down on conflict resolution tools for greater use around the world. But so that that our name change didn't happen until um, mid-year of 2021 um, as right. we fully let, kind of made that circle. Let me ask this. Um, before March of 2020, were you already starting to move from civic into corporate or enterprise? Like, was that a move that was already in... In motion? That was a yes. That was in, in November of twenty twenty, November twenty nineteen. That's when we uh, soft launched our inclusive series at a conference at the Georgia Chamber of Commerce for the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Summit, and we presented that. And we we had like sixty HR leaders that were desperate for information on this. They were looking for conversations around belonging, around. You know, Bridging the racial divide, like DEI had just started becoming really um, something that was had you know interest, but not a lot of budget. And so we were really trying to come up with ways that we could serve them from content, uh, giving them the content and the tools to host these internally, with food or without, over conference, over lunch, you know, like really trying to flex. And so as we entered TechStars, we were also receiving feedback from customers that were part of that or interested. They're like, yeah, I think you're going to need a name change, and that. Also, in the startup world, name changes are totally common. <laughs> Airbnb right. did it. Everybody, you know, like um, it, it's just a natural part of the process. And so we knew it was happening, but the pivot took priority first. And then once we got our feet under us and um, we got funding at the, like, um, the later the half of 2020, then we were able to invest in a process for rebranding um, and to completely close the loop on that. So... I want to get into some of the technology of the conversations here in just a minute. Yeah. But before we do that, I'd love to hear just like, first, I want to highlight. That to me is a perfect example of, hey, we've got the right thing. We've got the right mm -hmm. stuff. But how we're positioning it or talking about it isn't fitting. Right. Or, you know, one of the things I think about when it comes to uh, messaging is what I call off-ramps and on-ramps. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that like the off-ramp is where your audience is coming from. The on-ramp is the entry to your world, right? And we've the, the we've got to meet them right in that gap between the off-ramp and the on-ramp. And the conversation has to be really specific to that spot. And if it isn't, it's contextually mismatched. Yeah. Right. Um, and so often I think when people are like, I know I'm here to do this thing. This is right. It's in my soul. It's in my bones. I know how good this is, yeah. but it's not getting traction in the world. It's often, I think, not a matter necessarily of the things wrong, right. but more that the translation of the thing into the consumer language is off. Yeah. Um, I one it's, of my advisors says she calls it language market fit instead of product mm. market fit. It's exactly that. She says like you've got to find the language market fit, which is the positioning and the meeting the needs and speaking more specifically to a more niche audience. Exactly yeah, right. In the context of their experience. I love that. Here's yeah. what I, I just, I was like, I was fascinated looking at your website, knowing that it was originally like civic yeah. dinners to yeah. see this corporate offering in corporate language right repackaged as a tech offering i was like whoa <laughs> and when i learned that you did it in 10 days i was like holy bejesus um, well that, that was, was just so the cool. flip for i i, I get yeah. it i get it right i get that yeah. the website wasn't that way in that right. moment but um you know it was such a to me, anybody that wants to see that, like go to inclusive with two V's and no E at the end. Um, of course, we'll have all that in the show notes. Um, <laughs> look at the website, you know, and look at like, oh, wow, I can see the translation. And I think any of us can, if there's still purpose behind it, 
mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes we're like, oh, there's, I'm, I want a market grab <laughs> because I see an opportunity, but it's not actually a purpose fit. Right. But if the purpose is still there, if the mission can still be fulfilled in another package, in another format, I think looking at what you did to speak contextually to that audience, um, you know, I, I'm all about words and messaging. So I really, I really appreciated looking at it. I was like, way to go. Thank yeah. Um, so let's talk about the technology of conversation because. I think one of the great questions for change agents is, one, how to engage people in this thing, period. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I have a colleague uh, who I respect a ton in the change-making consciousness space right and then he developed a kind of monthly salon with all these leaders a lot of movers and shakers and like cool people i couldn't keep going i couldn't if the rubber doesn't meet the road and i can't see where the plane's gonna land like and i can't see an application i just can't navel gaze i you know so Let's talk about the structure and nature of this conversation because I think when it comes to difficult conversations or conversations that are maybe unfamiliar or, you know, certainly in the DEI space, like, you know, how, like I'm gay, right? So how do we, how do we talk about queer issues, gender issues, gender identity, um, You know, if it's about people of color, like, how do we talk about white supremacy? How do we talk about white supremacy at work? Right. Um, So I know you have a a kind of a three-part format, right, of, um, what is it? Inspiration, conversation, action. Can you walk us through that? Absolutely. So... It's actually embedded. It's almost like one of those those Russian dolls where we have the same three-part approach is used in three different areas of the conversation experience. And so at the core is the actual conversation itself with the three big questions. And those follow uh, the pathway, what we like to call the story arc, that is the, the hero's journey. And every great story, it's like you said the first scene or first act is about setting the context, getting familiar with the characters, understanding the lived experience in the background as it relates to that topic from each person's perspective. And then the second question, it really gets into the tension point, why we are convening. If there's not tension or a problem to be resolved, why are we even having this conversation? (laughs) So it's about that complexity and being able to look at the topic at all different angles and viewpoints and that tension between kind of what we know and what we don't know or what we want and what we have now, that gap is what drives us to the urge for resolution. And that last question, question three, is about finding ways to empower ourselves or each other um, with the specific actions and behaviors or um, you know, uplift things that we can do to, to actually move this issue forward. And so those three ways are how we, that whether it's inspiration, being, being inspired by someone else's personal story. Um, in classic community organizing, that's called the story of self. This is what, like, how you get others to build empathy and trust with you. The second one, the story of us is about the shared sense of passion, the shared sense of you know, tension and that, yes, we agree this needs to be resolved. And then the last one being the story of now, the sense of urgency. And so then uh, once, once we have that, I, okay. I just, uh, I was watching a clip just last night of Cory Booker <gasps> yes. using his time yes. in the Senate, you know, hearing, uh, well, not hearing, but in, you know, talking to Katanji Jackson and, his story of self mm-hmm. about being the fourth black man in the Senate, right? Uh, of how he got there, uh, 
you know, of when he first got there, somebody that, I don't know if they were a janitor or they worked there or what, he didn't name what their job was, but he talked about the people that were there after people went home. Um, and how this person came up to him and was trying, this man trying to get words out and just broke into tears <laughs> and he just hugged him. Right. Uh, and that was a story of cell. It's so interesting. This is like a 10 minute clip. I'll see if I can include this in the show notes too, because yeah. I, I'm listening to you. I'm like, Holy cow. Yeah. And last night I went to the gym after watching it and, uh, I was driving home and I was like, Holy cow. He's a good politician. Yeah. Cause it sounded just like he was having a conversation with her, Yeah. but he knows that the world is watching. Yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, he starts, I am not going to let anybody steal my joy of this moment. Uh, right. And he goes and tells the story of himself. Then he tells the story of us. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, he's, he talks about her mm-hmm. and what it took for a, a, a black woman to get where she is uh, mm-hmm. and saying, hey, I see my mother. I see my cousin. I see my mm-hmm. sisters in you. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he goes into, I see the, the story of now. Yeah. Why, why to elect her, right? Why we need her on the Supreme Court, yes. um, and in that ten-minute clip, it's a, it is a monologue because of the nature of how the Senate set up for it, yeah. right? But it is story of self, story of us, story yes. of now. Um, I'd never seen it that way, but there's the architecture. Thank you. That is the architecture, and that is I learned that from the Godfather of Community Organizing, which is Marshall Gans. He teaches at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and he uses that structure as part of the public narrative and trains organizers and politicians on how to leverage that, because that's what moves people. It's a it's the secret sauce for how to persuade and get people to follow and because it, it requires that story of self and connecting it's a it's not just you it's us and like connecting it to the everyone and then putting a sense of urgency on why now why why should you take time out of your day to help move this right now um mm-hmm. because yeah time competition with everything else is going on it's most of the reasons why we don't take action yeah yeah So give us an example, because I know with Inclusive, you have essentially, quote unquote, conversation packs. Yes. uh, Yes. Right? Like a card deck with like, I don't know if it's a card deck, right? I'm making that up. But like like a pack with like, oh, here's here's this three-parter on this and on that and on this other thing and on this other thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of one. Yes. Okay. So... Of, a, of an actual conversation with the questions? Yeah. Ooh, I'd have to yeah. pull it up. Um, let me pull up real quick this one on belonging. Or there's one around bridging the racial divide that we built with the King Center that is so amazing. Um, and it is this one is available and free for the public. So you can go to the homepage, inclusive.co, browse free topics, um, and be able to host this one and with friends and family and, you know, whether by the way, why .co and not .com? It's a good question. Um, we just, when we were rebranding, we were looking at all the available domains and just went for that one. So it was just... All right. Cool. Yeah. So. I will say the, um, and, and also for inclusive conversations, I guess we could do, could be .com is the more known, but even in the startup space, .co is pretty prevalent, I'd say. Yep. Um, and globally useful too. So yeah. The um, but uh, let's see. Let me pull this one up. The full topic catalog, and um, and then I also want to get to your question too around what you know how this is used, how we leverage the whole inspiration actually before the conversation. So we 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 have a whole kit of read, watch, listens, or inspiring quotes or facts or stories, even if it's a short clip video that we send people when they register for a conversation. So they have a little bit of context and inspiration. Then the conversation itself is the, is the understanding that is the action. And then, um, or, and then afterwards we immediately follow up with specific next steps and actions and ways that they can dive in, whether it's sharing their story or um, taking action. So here's an example for the bridging the racial divide. This is in partnership with the King Center. 
um, and they have what they call beloved community talks that this connects to. So the, we have technically the three big questions, but we also have a little intro question that warms people up and gets them mm-hmm. sharing. And sometimes it's light, sometimes it's deep. This one is actually a pretty deep one. So we have the intro question, which is share your name, where you grew up, and your first memory of understanding race. So it allows people to kind of think back in their own personal memory lane. Then the first big question is one of my favorite. We have the structure too includes a quote, which is an opportunity to educate or frame, the, uh, provide context or bumper lanes for the desired question. Um, and it's oftentimes a great way to, to um, infuse facts or, or stories. And this one, we don't have necessarily facts included. But question one is, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I'm convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other. They don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other and they don't communicate with each other because they are separate from one another. So the question is share a moment when you have gone out of your comfort zone to get to know someone of a different background, either background, ethnicity or race. And what did you learn and what surprised you? Hmm. And then Another interesting thing when we experience this is sometimes people realize this is almost a learning moment in the moment. Like, oh, wow, I've never actually done that. Uh, and that's, that's an aha moment. And that gets, uh, it kind of changes and reframes the way, the way we think about the world. Question two is, at the core of Dr. King's quest for the beloved community is the Greek concept of agape love. Separate from romantic love or friendship love, agape love is the type of brotherly love that's extended to all, friend and enemy alike. With agape love, we rise to the position of loving the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed he does, while hating the deed he does, said Dr. King. If I respond to hate with reciprocal hate, I do nothing but intensify the cleavage and broken community. Agape is a willingness to go to any length to restore community. And so the question is, share a time when you experienced or witnessed an act of agape love. Hmm. And then the last question is, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood that the beloved community will be mandated through policy, or sorry, will never be mandated through policy or law. Instead, it will have to come from us everyday people taking action together side by side. And so the question is, what's your vision for society free from racial division? And what's one action you can take or would like to see your workplace, school, or wider community take to move this vision forward? Awesome. How long does each person get per question? Great. We provide that in the guide and recommend uh, different links for different parts of the question. So for intros, one to two minutes, question one, two to three, question two, three to four, anywhere two to four, and then last one, yeah, two to three. So it ends up being your total talking time is probably 10 to 12 minutes over the course of, of the whole group. So obviously the time depending on how many people you have in the conversation with you, we recommend no fewer than four, but also no more than eight to have that sweet spot of a really powerful kind of diverse perspective and different backgrounds. Um, but that way it doesn't, I mean, of course, if you host over dinner and have wine, which you can still do, you can host these conversations anytime, anywhere, um, over a meal or not, but, you know, if you're sharing a bottle of wine or three, then you might say a little longer and, and, and kind of go deeper. Um, if you have 14 people around a table, the key is just to make sure that there's only one conversation happening at a time, meaning everybody's listening to one person speak at a time. Um, so the larger the group, the more tempted people are to kind of break into smaller side table combos, um, which is what we want to avoid. Yeah, got it. What have you seen, you know, you've spoken a little bit about what you've seen come out of the civic conversations. What have you seen come out of corporate or enterprise conversations? Great question. So 
we have only just started to receive the data from our more corporate focused conversations because we've also started to shift away from kind of one-off events or summits. That was the initial need and actually kind of the, the spark that started this whole concept was around how can we enhance the summit experience to allow space for dialogue. But what we realized too is that that constant need for what's next, now what, um, is almost that need for continual engagement and how we bring people back or go deeper or allow people to take action. So what we have recommended in our packages is a series of topics that reinforce one another or allow kind of maybe a larger introduction to a concept, whether it's inclusive culture or inclusive leadership or belonging. These are great introductory topics, but then allow deeper flow into like microaggressions, allyship, unconscious bias that are complemented by monologue trainings, which are, they still have a role, very important role. And their role is to provide that shared language so that we're all talking yeah. about the same thing and have that same understanding and perspective. But the paired with time and space for conversation allows for that context that is so important in order to, for you to apply what you're learning to your everyday life or your workplace or your community and to really think through it and make it yours. Because otherwise it's just yeah. the speaker's stuff that you are adopting and whether it sinks in or not, they don't know. That, and so this is your it's opportunity to have it sink in and go deeper and be applied. <clears throat> and so what we've seen, we've had the beginnings of metrics and partnerships with survey tools, like uh, great ones like um, Canary, Canaries, also um, Culture Amp are tools that are specifically in the DEI sector that measure belonging and sense of belonging and employee engagement. And so one of our key clients, they have used um, tools like that to measure as a, as a starting point. And then after six months, and we saw a, a sense of belonging increase from 80% to 90% after just six months of conversations. Uh, and so we've seen that also in, in terms of what, what companies care about is that that translates into a savings of almost $500,000, uh, or sorry, yeah, five, almost half a million um, organization of their size of 500 employees or so. And that's even greater. It's basically a about five grand per employee. If they feel like they belong, then they're more productive. They're less likely to leave they're, um and they're more likely to be retained for a longer period of time. So the, the goal of retention is at our core and create that sense of belonging and community and also leadership development. There's that inherent opportunity for people to feel heard, to have that permission to step up, to become part of something. Um, to lead it and and to feel more confident engaging their peers and colleagues in these conversations. And so as results, we've seen macro level increases in sense of belonging, but we've also seen people step up and start ERG groups as a result. We've seen um, individuals uh, pair off and ask for, you know, support each other in getting promoted. A lot of ERG groups are focused on getting women in leadership or, you know, Black women and leaders in leadership as well and others. So it's just a great format to allow their peers to be like, Hey, like you said, here's that door. There's the crack in the door. Go get that. Go. <laughs> here's the intro yeah. I'll make for you. Yeah. It's that yeah. Yeah. peer to peer network. Permission giving. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm also imagining that uh, these could happen with groups that are at different levels yes. in the organization, right? Yeah. So an EVP in conversation with a solo contributor, you know, an individual yes. contributor with a mid manager, yeah. et cetera. Um, we had that so actually good. the other day, we had a client, a big uh, global bank um, where we had a, a top level EVP uh, exec and a individual contributor uh, and both had different perspectives on the issue of women. When she was alone at the top, was the only woman, and she was surrounded by women, but didn't feel like they were helpful enough in lifting her up. So it was a powerful aha moment for both to be in that and, and to experience the, the sisterhood and camaraderie and the, the necessary support for one another. It's really cool. Yeah, beautiful. What's the big mission? Mm. 
while our mission and purpose still is around creating a more inclusive world and by giving everybody a seat at the table and uplifting their voice. And I would say we are still kind of navigating what that means, but I was the bigger shift is creating more opportunities for everyone to feel heard through creating dialogue, a shift from monologue to dialogue. Um, I have ambitions of seeing this in countries as a new form of civic engagement, of a way of being heard and uplifting um, voices and perspective from different neighborhoods. And also pairing with authors to help bring these big ideas in their form of book or even podcasts and giving people an outlet and a tool to connect with others who care. Um, and we're launching soon like book club discussions and what that might look like and how we can bring really big ideas and influencers that are socially driven, social impact as at their core um, and, and be able to drive and build movements out of this. So, I love it. Yeah. I love it because how do you get people to engage with your ideas? Right. You know, like, my work, for example, is very down. much like your work, and 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 yes. and everybody I know uh, uh, that I work with, none of us are doing our work because, like, I don't know, we just thought it was a good idea one day. Yeah. We're doing our work because it came and grabbed us, yeah, right, and exactly. said, "You do this thing," uh, <laughs> you know. And so, rather than like it's me, it's often like I'm here to shepherd this thing into the world. Yes. That said, often the format is still the monologue format. I know I do a ton of monologue, right? Mm -hmm. I, as a speaker and teacher and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so I love that this isn't an either or, right. that it's a, here, let me spark something. Mm -hmm. Now let's move from dialogue or monologue to dialogue yeah. and from dialogue into action. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so good. So good. Um, Hey, if people want to, I'm imagining there are going to be people that listen to this and probably also in other parts of your world that are going to hear this and go, Ooh, I see an application for this. Yeah. Yeah. I see, you know, just like you said, Oh, authors with pod uh, mm -hmm. authors, right. Podcasts mm -hmm. and whatnot. Like there is a niche application. Right. If somebody has like a niche application that like, oh, wow, this really inspired me. I can see the value of this. What would be the next step? Oh, wow. Reach out to us. We are, <laughs> bring it on. I'd say um, just reach out to follow, come contact me on LinkedIn, um, Jen Graham at Inclusive, two Vs, no E, uh, or go to inclusive.co, uh, opportunities to find, learn more, contact us through a contact us page. Um, but I'd say like, we're, we're open to it. Obviously as a startup, we have limited resources. So we're trying, we have a big roadmap that we see for the next three to five years of different experiments that we want to roll out and test. And like you said, niche focused market, but book clubs seem to be the next big one. We've already started half piloted it with the book, um, with Dr. Perry and Oprah. And then we have another one that that's book. coming out. Yes, the What Happened to You, so relevant. Yep. Um, and so now we're, we're going to be rolling out a big one in April around Parent Nation. So this is a, it's directly tied to some of the work that we're leading here in Georgia for national conversations. But I think we really, we find, yeah, there, there's an opportunity, whether it's even documentary filmmakers have reached out to us asking us if we do screenings and discussions and uh, we absolutely want to. We just we're, we're building the processes to put those lanes in place. Awesome, beautiful. Uh, and people can also go to inclusive.co, and there are some free starter packs. Yes. So I would say here's my here's my takeaway. If you want to uh, have a unique application for this, go go try one first. Go try go one first. Grab yes. a free starter pack. Have an experience. Invite people over for dinner. Uh, get them on Zoom and uh, then go to inclusive.com and, and follow up. Jen, this has been so delightful. I just, um, you've given me so many ideas and I, I am so inspired by this translation of an inquiry. How do we get people into dialogue and from dialogue into action into structure, which is, oh, let's learn, right, from, from, different 
uh, disciplines of like what builds connection, what builds empathy, mm -hmm. what creates belonging, how do we move people uh, mm -hmm. from separate to together and together into action. And from that structure into avenues for deployment in the world. Um, so it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm so delighted. It's, yeah. it's such a pleasure to know you and know that this exists in the world and I wish you all the best. Thank, Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Ah, well, I can't wait to have you over for dinner or a virtual Zoom. We'll join. I'll invite you to the next conversation that I host. <laughs> Sounds good. That, that right there is the wine closet. Oh, so, well, uh, yes. <laughs> I love it. That is, that, that's, that's my kind of dinner. Thank you. All right. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening in. If this conversation was powerful, if it stirred your soul or inspired your journey, then be sure to share it with a friend. Just copy and paste the link wherever you're listening to this podcast and text that link right now to a friend that you think would be inspired by this episode. And if this is your first time here, be sure to click that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review so I can get to know you and your thoughts better. To learn more about the work I do with emerging and established paradigm changers, go to thecourageousmessenger.com. That's all for today. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope to see you in the next episode.